Welcome to the West Virginia Writers Podcast, a service of West Virginia Writers Incorporated, the Mountain State's largest all-volunteer nonprofit organization dedicated to writers. Established and incorporated in 1977, West Virginia Writers continues to support writers in writing statewide through program sponsorship, an annual writing contest, and an annual summer writers conference. This podcast is dedicated to promoting the organization, its members, and events, as well as writers throughout Appalachia and beyond. And now, broadcasting from atop a hill in Mercer County, here is your host, Eric Fritzhughes. Thank you, Gertrude and Ola listeners. Welcome to Episode 51 of the West Virginia Writers Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Fritzhughes. This is the first podcast for the month of April, and thus the first of our month-long series of poetry-based podcasts in honor of it being National Poetry Month. Before we get to what today's podcast will be about, I'd like to invite you to participate in the festivities by phoning in your own poem to our podcast poetry hotline. We've done this sort of thing in the past with the Mother's Day podcast last year and our Dear City Letters podcast a couple of months ago, and I thought we'd open up the lines again, this time for poetry. The line has already been ringing quite a bit, but there are still three more Fridays in the month in which podcasts may fit, so please keep them coming and we will feature your poems on a future podcast this month. To record a poem, just phone up the Podcast Poetry Hotline at 304-661-9745. Listen to the instructions, wait for the beep, say your name, your town, and your poem's title, and then start a reading. You'll have two minutes to record your poem, but if it happens to be longer, just give us a call back and start where you left off. And don't worry about messing up while reading. If you do, just pause and say three, two, one. I'll notice it and edit out the flub later. Call them on in today, 304-661-9745. Today's podcast is a recorded live poetry reading captured on March the 15th at Raleigh County Public Library. I made the journey over from Mercer County in order to A, hear some good poetry, and B, test out my new Zoom H4N digital recorder. Mmm, boy howdy. I have to say it's a fantastic, tasty piece of recording equipment. However, as I learned not long into the reading, when you record events, it helps to actually have enough space left on the recorder in which to record them. I somehow assumed a gigabyte would go further, but because I had several other podcasty things already stored on the recorder, it did not. Also unfortunate is the fact that I didn't discover that the recorder had stopped until midway into the first poem by the second poet of the evening, Sammy Lewis. I later found out that this meant I had not only failed to record any of the poem read by the evening's first poet, Raleigh County librarian and storyteller Danny McMillian, but I also lost a goodly chunk of the introduction material by the evening's host, Rebecca Dean. Thinking quick, I managed to erase some of the files on the Zoom and started recording again, crossing my fingers that I'd have enough space. Turns out I did, but just barely. Since then, I've purchased a much bigger memory card, so this kind of thing shouldn't happen again in the future. But my apologies do go out to Danny, Sammy, and Rebecca for my technical failure. I'll have to make it up to you at a future Raleigh County Public Library poetry reading. So, we start the reading off today with the second poem by Sammy Lewis. Sammy is a member of West Virginia Writers from the Alderson area, and she was previously featured on the podcast in episode 28. We'll also have another former podcast guest, Miles Dean, later on in this episode. He was previously featured on episode 41. This, this one is... 
black market Twinkies are in our future. <coughs> Beware, folks, the fat police are on the march, coming for us, we chubby ones. The fat police are here to raid our refrigerators, our lives, our contentments. They wish to change our rosy, smiling faces to match the sickly gray of theirs. They wish to change our happy souls into grouchy, angry, starvation proponents. Why are these belligerent little people so angry, so adamant in their attacks? What are, whatever happened to the premise of freedom of choice, of steak or gruel? Fat or lean, sweet or sour, tasty or bland, satisfactorily fed or merely sufficient. I say, let us hold our drumsticks high and fight for our right to refuel. Our basic traditions are at stake. Hot dogs, holiday pies, cakes, ice cream. Traditions assailed by ones with caloric deficiencies and no sweets or steaks to chew. They have handy bathroom scales and calipers attached to gleaming service belts, ready to weigh and measure over-endowed frames and pinch an inch on us. The Fat Patrol go about their business banning this or that, wreaking havoc as they pass. No more coconut oil in movie popcorn. No more donuts fried in pure sweet lard. These oils replaced by man-made products with impure additives meant to slim us down. This hot, this fat police oil decree however, causes obesity to escalate, yet they blame us with no regard. Our adversaries are mean, miserably unhappy from lack of sustenance ever on the prowl. We happy, contented people go through life with satisfaction, full of vim, vigor, and food. We tubbies have a brownie or two up our sleeves, and we're not afraid to use them. In a, so, enemy, be on alert. Finagle with our meats and sweets, and real, we will resist that assertitude. Meeting over groaning buffet tables, we ponder our line of defense against the fat police. We nibble coconut oil popcorn, lard fried donuts, sip a high caffeine coffee brew, and a, a final consensus toasted by a rich chocolate milkshake drink is fat police, you must back off or we personable Pleasingly plump people 
will be forced to sit on you. <laughs> Um, is in memory of my beloved sister-in-law, <clears throat> Gladys Lewis. She always dreamed of traveling the world, but instead she de devoted her life to family and friends. Gladys, angel of heaven and earth, gentle spirit, wait for us as we struggle to merit a place by your beloved precious side in your heavenly, God-given space. By a glimpse of a shiny, be-winged angel, from the corner of an eye we fathom, you are here protecting us still in our wayward journey to your realm. Did you not wear wings from birth, visible only to the adoring beings that felt their brush on face and heart, who gladly partook of those earthly wings. You now soar over wonders of earth and heaven with gossamer wings in rapturous swirls. Oh, dear Gladys, flying glad abandon, savoring the knowledge and beauty of your two worlds. When time spins out and we seek your wings, let us, Gladys, in your wake soar to celestial, celestial heights beyond our sight, basking in the comfort of your wings once more. Gentle spirit, wait for us. Thank you. Thank you, Cindy Wellen. Um, the next lady joining us at the mic is a Southern Belle. Now, you'd never be able to tell that by her dialect. You'd never be able to tell that by her sense of humor. But there's something about her. Maybe it's the blonde. I'm not sure. But anyway, um, Sue Atkinson, if you'll join us. She's part of our, our creative writing group on Wednesdays. And she's a wonderful storyteller and joins Danny at Liar Conferences. So I'm not sure if we're going to hear a lie or a poem today. But <laughs> the mic is yours. Thank you. I have to tell you, I'm a little more comfortable with the storytelling. I mean, if you forget something in the storytelling, you can lie about it, you know. I'm going to read um, a poem from Appalachia by Muriel Miller Dressler. And um, Danny introduced me to this author, and I have to admit, her sense of humor is terrific. I love it. The first one I'm going to read is Ari and His Retirement Plan. Well, John, old Ari Pleasant's just retired. He told me so himself. I thought I'd scream. Retire from what? He never worked a day I can recall. He's living in some dream of fancy. He says he'll collect his unemployment check and take things in his stride. Well, he's been a taker all his life. No, I didn't tell him he ain't qualified. Let somebody else tell Ari that. 
I think he rates a check or two. That man done his farming by the far. Then he fiddled all the summers through. So don't tell me he ain't qualified. I know he is, John. So do you. Ain't every man alive deserves it more. It'll be a comfort to his wife. Let him put in for unemployment. Ain't he been out of work his entire life? <laughs> Jinxie, I like the way she writes. This next poem is called Remember, and actually it is the one and only poem I have ever written. Um, I actually wrote it back in 1997 for the 85th anniversary of the Girl Scouts. I worked with Girl Scouts, I worked with Boy Scouts, I worked with youth groups, 4-H, so, um, and you might remember some of your own family in these memories. <coughs> remember. Oh, what memories we make along the way, then meet again in a spiral of smoke from a campfire, a leaf fluttering to a rainbow-covered ground, or a jack-o'-lantern smile on the face of a child. Remember? How could I forget? A wide-eyed child approaches, smiling tentatively, a brown beanie precariously perched atop her head. I reach out, accept, enfold. Mutual laughter bonds us together, and my heart is lost forever. Remember? How could I forget? A young woman approaches, her footsteps firm and sure, laughter in her eyes. I reach out, accept, enfold the baby she places in my arms. My brownie is grown. Remember? How could I forget? The friends I made, the sisters I loved, the tears and laughter have lasted through all the years. Remembering brings a joy, a peace. If you can say, I'm a Girl Scout, without the memories and a smile, then you've never really been green. Yes, I remember. And the last one I'd like to do, and I think this one just fits me, Aunt Susie and the Preacher. <clears throat> The preacher said, she gums her face with powder like a strumpet. She won't get in them pearly gates when Gabriel blows his horn. I'm sorry, when Gabriel blows his trumpet. And two rows back, Aunt Susie clipped brown stained teeth and said, Amen! She had not to do them things, seeing it's a mortal sin. You petticoat-chasing men seeking out fast company had better straighten up your rows. Susie amened and agreed. You youngin' sowing your wild oats had best list to my teaching. Aunt Susie said, In all my life, I ain't never heard better preaching. The preacher said, And rubbing snuff leads to a soul's unsettling. Aunt Susie said, He's gone hog wild, stopped preaching, started meddling. <laughs> Thank you.
Our next poet is Kathleen Mooney, who goes by Kitty. She has been a long-standing friend of the library. She loves books. She's part of our, our monthly book club. She brings all kinds of presents to that group, and I'm sure the same thing is going to happen with her poetry she's reading today. She says she loves poetry, especially many from celebrated poets of the times past. She began writing in 1973 as part of the Raleigh County Poetry, um, a group that met here, I believe Kitty was saying. Um, she was also a member of the West Virginia Writing Project and introduced to a West Virginia publication called Hill and Valley. Shirley Young, and maybe that name means something to some of you as well, was the editor, and these poems were published in that publication. Kitty, thank you, and look forward to hearing your poem. Rather like Academy Award time or any award, I do wish to thank my family for their love of the written word and the spoken word, and uh, for my long love of of uh, the poets that we read in childhood and through our journey through schools and the classroom, uh, we were introduced to and learned to appreciate. And as I mentioned, uh, Shirley and Campbell who um, took to heart writers of West Virginia and uh, other states as well. And uh, we met on a couple of uh, very uh, interesting occasions, all the writers getting together, wishing to see faces uh, before the, the names and poetry that we read. So we met in Charleston a couple of times, and uh, my mother was with me those times. Variants. Yesterday's classroom, subdued by a whispered command while pondering the formulas of ancient mathematicians, erupts today into excited yelps at the sight of the substitute teacher. Determination. Budding lilac bush now blackened, stung by frost Springs frost laden air forgives that sadistic last deed of April and tenaciously grips the earth still another year. Leafy branches, too timid to burst in mad profusion, grow small and delicate, casting sun spread filigree patterns upon the wind swept ground. Fragile, stubborn tree, do you not wonder why the rhododendron drifted north with a new river, traded for that deep summer land of magnolia and hyacinth? To the librarian who makes much use of the library, Summer reverie spent mid stacks of books that stretch like monuments of civilizations ancient and near. If word on word could build mightier than Cheops' tomb, or grander than Versailles, or taller than the World Trade Center. But not among written pages does fascination hold, although his agilely sheathed intelligent masks academic true bent. It is the human drama practiced by actors unaware who enter the county public library 
drawn upon the replica of a hidden stage, while he, as audience in the round, contemplates an amusement performance with so great an ease. Girlhood dreaming into middle age. Optimism has been with you this long time. It shows as a garment well worn, like that of a saffron robe priest holding a fencer arced in motion, like a cardinal's scarlet mantle crossing St. Peter's Square. And for all your proud parade of good cheer, hope has become your waiting game. Look for love interludes with a crew cut boy slow dancing on a midnight lake pavilion died in cocoon while you kept maiden ants company rocking on a wide veranda. Such comely features of face and figure so enticing to men did not linger but bloomed to ebb at once like the cradle of Jesus plant that shows for that brief hour. With homage paid to expectation, a life solitary offered as sacrifice you wait without abatement and still never see St. Agnes Eve. Raleigh Forum, an account of a modern shopping mall, an idea whose time came from the Roman Forum. Quicken paces, strolling, pausing, a pedestrian parade, roam through the marketplace of marble, players in an ancient charade. I've been married to the next poet for 46 years, or almost 46 years. Um, I didn't know he was a poet when I married him. I thought he was a marshmallow with sharp edges. And um, on our wedding night, he left a little poem for me. I don't think it was meant to be a poem. I won't recite it now. But it was very touching. But it's only, it's only come to mean even more to me now because I didn't follow through on it. And I wish I had. Um, he would then write, as we moved from place to place, a little bit about the Canada geese as they flew over the back fields, or the house we left and the house we were coming to. And they were sporadic. But when you heard them or you read them, I felt, and some of our sons felt, we have three, thought they were very moving. Um, he really started writing when we joined the writers group about three years ago, I think, two and a half to three years ago. And his style is poetry. I joined the group, but I'm a scribbler. I don't do much of that. And what he's done is touch the hearts of our family in many, many ways. And we really do love what he, what he writes. But sometimes, um, you know, I'll get up after he does, and before I even get that cup of tea or coffee, he says, would you like to hear it? <laughs> and I said, wait, 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 just give me a minute, give me a minute. But um, he's always working at it. There's something that catches his mind's eye or a thought, and, and then he proceeds. And, and then he goes back and works, works at it. So it's pretty interesting. Um, he's, a, as I said, a member of the writers group here at the library. We're also members of the book club. And just recently, he has been elected president of the um, Friends of the Library. He's hoping, there are many members here right now, Friends of the Library, and we're really glad you came out. And we're extending invitations to all who are not here. Um, to join us because we're working towards 
many more challenges and goals in the days ahead. Um, Miles did receive an award last year at the Writers' Conference, and we're, we were tickled about that, and that encouraged him, I think, even more to keep going. So I'd like to introduce Miles Dean from the Raleigh County Library. Thank you. That was a lovely introduction. You know, when she was talking before, she said something about the hierarchy. In the hierarchy, I'm a step below, you know, going from the, from the library to the friends, to the, I'm a step below this lovely lady. First poem I'm going to read is named Bridges. They sit in rocking chairs, scarcely speaking. The table between covered with books, mail, a lamp, and notes on a scrap of paper. Her attention focused on a novel while he composes a letter and considers a conversation. Used to be easy when the span easy to span the gap between his Beethoven and her Brahms. Passages fluid and familiar, but less so just now. Any comments and intrusion, treads worn smooth to a span rusted from misuse and neglect, planks missing and cables frayed. In silence, both know without maintenance, bridges and connections will fail, and yet both wait, stubborn still. A new coat of paint might cover the bare spots, but the surface may need to be scraped clean and sanded before renewal. History tells that tranquility will return. As causes grow faint, a truce of sorts, but the need for attention will remain. Both know that movement is required, and so the process starts. One dish is done, other folds the clothes. Current events become worthy of comment. The morning coffee gets made. And then a relative's funeral jars give clarity to priorities as both attend to the requirements of the day. Rituals of passing, refocusing of bonds between relatives close and distant. They sit in their rocking chairs, occasionally speaking. The table between covered with books, mail, a lamp, and notes on scraps of paper. <laughs> Second one is called When I Was a Little Boy, and it's from a memory. <coughs> Grandma Gallagher had no <coughs> children. My mother was her only child. There were no toys in the yard and none allowed inside. It was tough to be a little boy at her house. During visits, most visits, my behavior disturbed tranquility and led to banishment in the side yard. One time I found an oak branch in the lilac bushes. I began dragging it around, running it against the fence, using it as a sword. After a while, I settled next to the oak tree digging in the dirt with the heel of the branch. Deeper and deeper it struck, and then my stick broke through. Peering down, I saw masses of people and tigers and monkeys. They all welcomed me. With certainty from a bedtime story, I knew I'd arrived in China. We danced and played as noisily as tigers and monkeys and teeming masses might. Then my mother called from the porch, and we went back to the kitchen to say goodbye. I said nothing of my adventures. 
The third one is called First Love. It is thought to be the very sight of her, the sparkle in her eyes, her hint of a smile, the way she walks into a room like a spring crocus bringing color to banish the darkness of winter. It is not. It is thought to be the touch of her hand, the brush of her skin, the smell of her musk, her lips brushing away a tear, banishing a hurt that crushes one's soul. It is not. It is thought to be conversations that range into the night, bodies touching, windows steaming, hearing our song, dancing together, imagining a future centered in the moment, unchanging. It is not. It is thought to be a future in which minds grow or atrophy. Bodies sag with the weight of years, bones become arthritic. Important events escape and yet still holding, touching, breathing, brushing away the tears. It is. I'm going to take liberty and just one other one. <laughs> Sometimes when I start, I have, you know, I get... We're lucky he doesn't have his volumes here today. <laughs> this one, I worked on probably a month or two ago, and then I worked on it again the last couple of days, just because events press so hard. It's called Global Warning. 2010, type of 2005 as the globe's hottest years since 1880. Since 2000, we've had 10 of the 15 hottest years on record. Droughts have decimated harvest in Russia, China, and India, have extended the deserts in Africa and parts of the western U.S. Was that a butterfly beating its wings against my window? The thawing of the ice in the Bering Sea is driving the cold south changing the climate, bringing record winter cold to Europe and parts of the U.S., while global average temperatures keep going up. Was that a butterfly beating its wings against my window? And what of the earthquakes in Haiti and Chile, the the tsunamis in Indonesia and Sumatra, the floods in Queensland and Brazil and Pakistan? If we heat the global ball to the plates slip faster, Was that a butterfly beating its wings against my window? Now Japan has had its 8.9 quake and the tsunami. Its nuclear plants are fracturing, discharging World War II reminders. Over 10,000 dead and the land mass has shifted, shortening the day and tilting the Earth's axis just a little. Is that a butterfly beating its wings against my window? We deforest the mountains, consume with reckless abandon, poison the waters, pollute the air, and challenge God. Was that a butterfly beating its wings, or have we reached the tipping point where butterflies no longer fly? Thank you, Miles. I'll be the last reader, and I have just one poem that I'm going to read. Um, the title for the poem came from our writers group. 
uh, one of our, our participants suggested Hunter's Moon. And when we came home, or went home, Miles looked up Hunter's Moon, I don't know, encyclopedia, computer, whatever, and came up with a convoluted definition that I didn't understand at all. And uh, we both began our separate works on it. And this is my result. I, I tend to write not a lot of poetry. Uh, sometimes they're short poems and more. They kind of are prose. Well, he's been up there for as long as I remember. Sometimes he disappears and sometimes he tries hiding, coming back a little at a time. I think he just likes to tease a bit. They say he has some extraordinary pull, not so as you'd notice when you're just looking at him, but when you see him in action, believe me, it's real action. Yep, has some mighty pull, just don't know where that comes from. Funny thing, everyone's got a little different feel about him, got a different name for him, got a different story short as it might be, about him. Just listen to this. Bet you've stood out there in the dark a-looking and a-looking, trying to see this particular night whether he was smiling or not. There are those sorry-looking lovers holding hands and swaying just about dancing in their fever. The farmer and those lovers again staring, amazed at how absolutely fabulous he can appear. The downhearted, the silly ones who put him in the company of some silly dizzy dits, and then the extraordinary feat it is to finally really meet him. Well, you can call him Man in the Moon, Blue Moon, Harvest Moon, sing a silly rhyme with him in the background while the cat and the fiddle play and the dish runs away with a spoon, or appreciate that he allowed some high-flying sons of ours to land on him and take away some bits of him. But me, ah me, I'll call him Hunter's Moon. Not the fancy book noggin definition that is so confusing. You close the book and never open it again. But a true hunter's moon. Everything's so quiet as you get your gear together, making sure that the hat has lantern on it, gun is clean and loaded, put the slicker over the sweater in case it starts to rain before we're through. Bringing the dogs out, settling so they won't dash off at just any sound or smell, and then stepping into the dark, moist night with him overhead light our way. Coon or bear don't matter much. Dogs like to run and howl, chasing through the night. I like to run and follow, stepping over rocks and roots, smelling in the night air. Catch or not catch, shoot or not shoot, don't matter none. I've got my hunter's moon overhead. Our opening voiceover was provided by Marcus Vowell. Our show's theme music is used with permission by its composer, Pops Walker, whose albums can be found at cdbaby.com and popswalker.com. This podcast has been a production of Mr. Herman's Production Company Limited and was recorded, as always, atop a hill in Mercer County.